Welcome to the Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of the Just Pod. Today we are joined by Professor David M. Crane. David, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Professor Crane is the Distinguished Scholar-in-Residence at Syracuse University College of Law. He's also the founding chief prosecutor of the UN Special Court for Sierra Leone, and also the founder of the Global Accountability Network, which he'll tell us a little bit more about in a moment, and also sits on our board of advisors for the ABA's ICC project. So David is here to join us. Obviously, we're all aware of the invasion of Russia in Ukraine, and we're all watching with great concern and seeing things that cause us great concern, humanitarian corridors being attacked, maternity and children's hospitals being bombed with excuses for what Russia believed was existing in these hospitals. And it raises a lot of concern, a lot of ethical concern for many of us bystanders And many of us have questions. Isn't that something that they can be held accountable for? And so that's what we're going to be discussing today is war crimes, specifically of the Russia-Ukraine war of 2022. And David is here to help shed some light given his vast experience in this area. So David, let's begin our discussion of the Russian war crimes of this current conflict by first telling our listeners what a war crime is, and then also please identify the war crimes that Russia has committed to date as of recording this interview, which we are recording on March 14th of 2022. Well, this is a very timely topic, and I really appreciate having this ability to discuss with my fellow lawyers really an important topic. A lot of people don't realize that the war of war has been regulated. The laws of armed conflict, which is a kind of a subset of international humanitarian law, govern how a combat is done and making sure that those found on the battlefield are protected, such as wounded and sick, prisoners of war, and civilians. We also have in this body of law means and methods by which we regulate targeting and the type of weapon systems that you can use. And so any violation of those bodies of law that have been around for about 100 years, codified in the Geneva Conventions, the Hague Rules of 1907, and various protocols and treaties related to all of this, particularly governing the use of various kinds of weapon systems, is really critical in understanding that at the end of the day, we make sure that we follow the law when we are using force as a last means. You know, the UN paradigm is really for settling our disputes peacefully, and we only resort to force when we have to, to restore international peace and security. But when we do, we do have the laws of armed conflict, which govern our conduct on the battlefield. It's really important for for all of us to understand, Russia isn't following any of the law, not one bit. And this is very much like them, even though they are signatories to most of the laws of armed conflict rules, they do not follow them. In their history, they never have. One of the requirements is is that you train your armed forces in the laws of armed conflict, and they do not train their forces in the laws of armed conflict. So you're seeing 
really horrific conflict going on in the Ukraine uh, where it's unrestrained. And this is shocking. In 2022, we're seeing almost World War I tactics being used against a country, more importantly to civilians. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line is this, you cannot intentionally target civilians. You cannot intentionally target civilians. So that's what they're doing. And you know, we're almost going back to the medieval times, rape, pillage, and plunder kind of approach to, to modern warfare. That's not modern warfare. Modern professional armies follow the laws of armed conflict, and the Russians are certainly not doing that. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I know that you have been working on a newly formed task force, and I know that the ICC prosecutor has launched a Russia-Ukraine war, war crimes investigation. So would you please tell us first about the players that are involved in war crimes prosecutions, and then also help us understand what the burden of proof is for such crimes? Well, I'm very encouraged in a macro sense, a general sense. The world has come together against Russia for the war crimes and other international crimes they're committing in the Ukraine. The General Assembly, 141 nations, came together and condemned the invasion. We have the International Criminal Court starting a preliminary inquiry into allegations of war crimes and crimes against humanity, which is appropriate and should be done. But we also have efforts around the world by non-governmental organizations, by various countries, considering next steps. The Global Accountability Network, which I founded, which has been doing work in Syria for over 11 years, Yemen, Venezuela, the Uyghurs, modern slavery, what have you. The day of the invasion started the Ukraine task force, where we are doing what I did in West Africa as the chief prosecutor of the tribunal there, and that is build a crime-based matrix, build a conflict map, and begin to develop a white paper to explain to the world what they are doing. In other words, we can take this crime-based matrix, this conflict map, and other associated criminal information, hand it over to a future local regional or international prosecutors someday. And we work closely. Our client is the International Criminal Court of uh, the United Nations. We give this data freely to appropriate organizations. We don't hide it or we give it safely and of course securely, but this data is shared to appropriate bodies across the globe to seek justice for victims of atrocity crimes that you're seeing in the Ukraine. So we're busy. We are already cataloging hundreds of war crime allegations and putting it on our crime-based matrix. We have a rule is we have to verify it at least twice before we put it on. But the crime-based matrix is time, date, location, type of crime, what particular body of law it violates, the Rome Statute, Geneva Conventions. We even are now highlighting the violations of Ukrainian criminal law. And then, of course, we identify the unit or individuals who are perpetrating those crimes. And we're already into the hundreds of allegations. So it's a horror story that continues every minute of every day by unrestrained, unlawful armed force, raping and pillaging and plundering in the Ukraine. Right. And so one question that comes to at least my mind, I'm sure many others share, is what actions can be taken to hold Putin and his commanders accountable while Putin is still in power in Russia? And could war crimes lead to, or accusations and prosecution of war crimes lead to intervention from, say, the UN or the EU? Great question. You know, 20 years ago, a lot of the things that I'll be talking about, it was theory. Now we have the experience, 
we have the jurisprudence and we have the proper rules of procedure and evidence to actually prosecute heads of state, their henchmen, their commanders, thugs who feed on their own people or others. And so we are at a good place now to take on Vladimir Putin, a sitting head of state. I was the only person in history to prosecute or to take down a sitting head of state, President Charles Taylor of Liberia, for war crimes and crimes against humanity back in 2003. And now he is sitting in a prison in the United Kingdom for the rest of his life. So, you know, we have the experience now, we have the jurisprudence, it's really critical. And Prosecutor versus Taylor, the appellate chamber of the UN Special Court for Sierra Leone ruled that a sitting head of state cannot be immune for his violations of international crimes. As we all know, know, head of state immunity is a rock solid concept that's been around for centuries. Started from uh, the king can do no wrong. He was somewhat above the law. Well, heads of state now, since 2003, 2004, know that the heads of state who commit war crimes, crimes against humanity, and other international crimes are no longer immune. So therefore, we do now have the legal basis by which we can hold Vladimir Putin individually criminally responsible for war crimes, crimes against humanity, and acts of aggression. And we're starting to do that. The world is coming together. The International Criminal Court has jurisdiction over the war crimes and crimes against humanity. But when they were, we were meeting in Kampala and elsewhere, there was a carve-out related to we cannot hold countries who are not part of the Rome Statute for the crime of aggression. So we're going to have to do something about the act of aggression, a pure act of aggression, by one country invading another sovereign territory. This hasn't been done since Nuremberg. So the ICC will be working to do what it needs to be done to hold him accountable. And then the, basically the world is now starting to come together with considering methodologies by which we can create a, another tribunal or a mechanism by which we can begin to investigate and indict Putin for the crime of aggression. It's important, just as a footnote, when you commit international crimes, he's committing war crimes, crimes against humanity, as well as the act crime of aggression, is there's no statute of limitations. So within the year, he could very much be indicted for these acts, particularly uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and acts of aggression. And so therefore, he is now an indicted war criminal forever. That indictment stands until he's handed over for a just and fair and open trial for his crimes. So once that happens, he becomes an international pariah. It happened to President Charles Taylor when I put the hammer down, signed his indictment, unsealed it. Two months later, he was stripped of his power and put in house arrest in Nigeria, and he was tried fairly, and now he's sitting in jail. As I said, this is what will happen to Putin. Justice has started. So once that indictment is issued, he is just a matter of time when there's a political decision to hand him over to whatever appropriate justice mechanism is available to prosecute him. International Criminal Court, International Tribunal, a hybrid international tribunal or something like that. So that's happening as we speak. And we're very much involved in that. Stay tuned. He's not going to get away with this. And I think he actually knows this. I think he hears footsteps already. Thank you very much for that. I'm sure that's great comfort to many of our listeners to hear that. And I am wondering, obviously, this conversation here is more of a high level overview for our listeners from a variety of backgrounds to make sure it's accessible for everybody. For those who are interested in more in-depth information or following along with this investigation beyond what they see in the news, are there sources that they can look to? Will the ICC put forward anything? Will the Global Accountability Network put forward anything or the ABA's ICC project put forward anything? 
Well, there's a lot of websites. Of course, certainly you can Google war crimes, crimes against humanity, crime of aggression. And I've looked at those and I think they're fairly, they're good. And I think that that can get you into a good basic understanding of what a war crime is, what crimes against humanity is, and what the crime of aggression is. I would just say, Google it. There's a lot of other websites. The Public International Policy Group has a good website. The ICC has a good website on these things. The Global Accountability Network doesn't have a website because we're very careful because what we're doing is doing an actual criminal investigation. We don't want to be penetrated. We're actually going after some really bad guys around the world. And of course, now Vladimir Putin is one of them. And so these people don't get mad, they get even. So we're kind of careful on what we do, but we will be publishing a white paper within the month on Russian war crimes with an initial introduction and what is going on in the Ukraine from a legal point of view. So that'll be something to look forward to. And we'll certainly reach out to good friends of the ABA to post that if they would like to do that. And we'll keep you informed on that. The International Committee of the Red Cross is another good source, as well as the American Red Cross, who also have uh, really a lot of people don't realize, you know, of course, the ICRC is the former holder of the Geneva Conventions. Their job is to go into conflict zones to ensure those who need to be protected on the battlefield, civilians, prisoners of war and wounded and sick that are being cared for to ensure that the Geneva Conventions are being complied with. Well, the American Red Cross also has an extensive law of armed conflict training program across the country. A lot of people don't realize the American Red Cross is more than just giving blood and going to disaster zones, but they have a very formal training process for Americans to learn and to understand the concept of protecting individuals on the battlefield. So in some ways you can almost, you know, in this day and age, you can almost be overwhelmed by this, but these are some areas that I would recommend. And I'd be glad to chat about, you know, what essentially is a war crime, crime against humanity, an act of aggression, but particularly war crimes and crimes against humanity, if you'd like to do that. Yes, by all means, go ahead. Well, as I've stated, you know, there are three crimes being committed, actionable crimes that we could hold Vladimir Putin, his commanders, this is important, his commanders, as well as others who are committing this conduct in the Ukraine. A war crime is a violation of what I've kind of talked about, the laws of conflict, the rules of means and methods of, of dealing with conflict, both non-international as well as international armed conflict violations of those rules are war crimes, simply put. Crime against humanity doesn't have to have a conflict. It is a widespread or systematic attack just against civilians for whatever reason, by usually an organized group like rebels or a government. And so that certainly is happening as well in the Ukraine. And being an old federal prosecutor and an international prosecutor, what you do when you indict a sitting head of state like Vladimir Putin, you charge in the alternative. So If I was prosecuting Putin on his indictment, I would charge him for both whatever act he's doing as a war crime, but I'd also charge him as a crime against humanity. We did that when we prosecuted Charles Taylor in West Africa, and it was successful. So that the trier of fact can pick and choose based on what the facts show, whether it's a war crime or a crime against humanity. So I think in general, if you understand the fact that war crimes are about protections and crimes against humanity are about attacks on civilians, You kind of have the four corners of this, but certainly you can go into great depth on the internet if you want to get into that some more. Yeah. And also you've spoken to prosecuting the commanders of the armed forces of Russia. And would you speak a little bit more to why it is and how it is that they can be held accountable as well? 
Well, commanders are the essential point in the laws of armed conflict. They are in charge of organizations and soldiers who are acting on a battlefield. If they choose to ignore the laws of armed conflict, those who they have directed to commit these crimes are liable. But the commander who directs that to happen are also liable. There's no such thing as a defense of superior orders. You know, I was ordered to. That doesn't play out. That was put aside at the International Military Tribunal at Nuremberg. But there is the concept of uh, command responsibility all the way up to the top. If the head of state is also the head of the armed forces, which Vladimir Putin is, yeah, and our president, commander in chief of the armed forces constitutionally, uh, then he is individually criminally responsible for what his commanders are doing or ordering and what his soldiers, sailors, airmen, whomever are committing on the battlefield. So it's as if he has committed the act himself. And that's really, really critical. And that's how we took down Charles Taylor. And that's how we're going to take down Vladimir Putin. He is individually criminally responsible under the theory of command responsibility for the actions of his armed forces against the Ukraine. Well, thank you. We've certainly covered a lot of ground today, but I want to give you a chance in case there's anything you feel like we've missed to leave our listeners with any final thoughts as they continue to observe or perhaps even engage with this current war in Russia and Ukraine. Well, I think it's just really important for my colleagues and my fellow lawyers and those other listening into this podcast is that modern international criminal law is ready to, in fact, take care of this. We can do this. If there's a political will, and, and the bright red thread of international criminal law is politics, with a small p. In other words, there has to be a political decision to activate the system, so to speak. If there isn't, it won't happen. But there is a great political interest to do something about this at the UN level the domestic level, regional level with the European Union, NATO, what have you, so that there is going to be something done. But politics is important, but it will be done. And uh, people just don't realize that it was only 1993-94 that we began the process of holding heads of state accountable. And of course, you, prosecutor versus Taylor is the one that really cemented. This is almost like a Marbury versus Madison situation where you know, this is the cornerstone to how now we deal with atrocity crimes is that heads of state who feed on their own citizens now are completely liable for what they're doing. And this is really critical. So I just want to assure our listeners that the law is there. We have the experience to apply the law. And now there's a political interest to do something about this situation in the Ukraine. So watch, talk about this uh, among your colleagues. Let your elected officials know, you know, if you want to bring something up in local bar associations and what have you, bring in local experts to talk about this. Don't let the Ukraine fade away in the next news cycle. And I think this is kind of a concern. And that is, you know, we are a five-minute society and we move on. We can't do this. Certainly, I can assure you that those of us that are very much involved in holding the Russian Federation accountable for their invasion, we're doing it. This is going to happen. But again, continue to have this dialogue. The lawyers are important in society. They're listened to. And so continue to call out Russia for what they're doing with the Ukraine. And I'll just leave you with this. And I, I say this all the time, but I truly believe this. The rule of law is more powerful than the rule of the gun. And I told this to my client, the people of West Africa, Sierra Leone, in town hall meetings. And I said, but don't believe what I do. Believe what I say. And I showed them taking down Charles Taylor and his henchmen in West Africa. I showed them that the rule of law is more powerful than the rule of the gun. So, you know, take heart in this. 
the legal profession should be proud and the United States should be proud of its leadership in the development of modern international criminal law. So with that, I just want to make sure that, that people don't become despondent, but, but the law is very much a part of what's going to be happening and he will be held accountable. That is of great comfort, at least to myself, I'm sure to many of our listeners as well. So thank you again, David, for joining us here and sharing your knowledge with us and your experience and helping us follow along with us. I'm, I'm pleased to chat with you today. So listeners, once again, this was Professor David M. Crane, the Distinguished Scholar-in-Residence at Syracuse University College of Law, founding Chief Prosecutor of the UN Special Court for Sierra Leone, founder of the Global Accountability Network, and one of our board of advisors for the ABA's ICC project. So thank you again, and thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod. <laughs>